Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that, Chris. You know when you think you've cried all your tears for the week? <laughs> all righty. I am pumped this morning. I really am. I am pumped. Thank you, Daphne. Thanks, Alan. Uh, I love that line. That, there was one line in there that was for me. <laughs> you say, I am strong when I feel as though I'm weak. And that's why I'm pumped this morning, because I feel incredibly weak. Uh, I feel worn out. I feel emotionally drained. Uh, but I'm feeling pumped because uh, I know in him that I'm strong. So, we're going to have a really, really good time this morning. There you go. There's an expectation, eh? Uh, let me just talk a little bit. Thank you, Chris, for, uh, for uh, mentioning about yesterday. Uh, for, I think uh, a number of you were here. We had over, it was probably about 170, 180 people for Heather's celebration of life. We didn't have enough chairs. There were people standing at the back. There were people in the office there were bagpipers outside. I mean, it was just absolutely wonderful. And it was a, a great celebration for Heather. But you know what? It made, I saw yesterday what makes us good as a church. It was a group of people coming together, serving selflessly. Uh, Jay spent, sorry Jay, I'm going to embarrass you. Jay spent Friday uh, cleaning and dusting everything in here. No one saw that. No one saw Jay do that. And I know that she doesn't want appreciation. She just loves uh, us. And that's why, and she loves the Lord. That's why she does it. But she did it. We had an army, literally an army of people down in the kitchen making uh, sandwiches yesterday. You mean ate most of them. <clears throat> and we had people up here uh, setting out chairs and getting PowerPoint ready and sound ready and everything else. And then we invited all of our guests downstairs to have all the refreshments. And I saw you guys chatting with them. That's City View being City View yesterday. And so I want to thank you. It gladdened my heart. I stood back at one moment and I just surveyed everything that was going on. And I thought, A, Heather would be proud. But also God was shining down, looking down and saying, you know what? You're being my people. You're sharing and showing the love of Jesus. Probably 90% of the people here yesterday had no faith. And some of them told me about it as well. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because we were here showing and sharing the love. So thank you. Thank you, Ryan and Andrea, for your greeting and everything that went on yesterday. Thank you. All right. We have a board game at home, and it's called Imagine If. Now, I've played it with some of you. It's a game that needs to be by, played by people who know each other quite well. But it's also a game that needs to be played by people who are emotionally secure with themselves. <laughs> so that's obviously no one here. It's a game that's very revealing. 
The idea is that the players have to answer a hypothetical question about one of the other players. Here's an example. Imagine if Phil were a theme park ride. What theme park ride would he be? Would he be the bumper cars, Splash Mountain, Tunnel of Love, <laughs> the merry-go-round, or the roller coaster, or the one that I put in, the haunted house? <laughs> Who thinks Phil would be the tunnel of love? <laughs> it's okay. Steve's in touch with his feminine side. That's great. What about the roller coaster? Laura, you see, yes. <laughs> the rest of you, the haunted house. Okay. So, I'm going to ask you a question. Imagine if you were to write an autobiography. What would the title be? I'm going to let you think about that. Those of you who will be at Life Group this week, this may be a question that comes up on the test. If you were to write an autobiography, what? Would the title be? How would you capture your life so far in a few catchy words? <laughs> Lost in space. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'm fascinated by autobiographies. I love reading them. I've read a number. Uh, these are some of the ones that I've read. I've read Margaret Thatcher's. I've read Tony Blair's. I've read Barack Obama and, and Nelson Mandela, uh, among many others. And what I find interesting, it, it's discovering where these folk came from and where they ended up and hearing their journey in between. For example, reading of the transformation of Margaret Thatcher from being the daughter of a, co a corner store owner to one of the most powerful, intimidating leaders in the world. Or how Barack Obama moved from the stigma at the time of being born into a mixed-race marriage to being the 44th president of the United States. I am fascinated. And this morning, we're going to continue our study on 1 Timothy. We're going to read about another wonderful transformation story, another autobiography. Perhaps one of the greatest turnarounds in history. Previously in 1 Timothy, we've discovered that this letter was written by the older apostle Paul to a young struggling pastor, Timothy. It's basically a letter of encouragement. Timothy wants out of the church in Ephesus. He's stressed, he's underappreciated, he's undermined, and he's under pressure. The church is in a mess but Paul wants him to stay. Why? Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is at stake. So Paul writes to him with some encouragement and instructions to answer three questions. And the three questions were, how do we do church? How do we be church? And why do we do 
and be church. And then as we saw last week, he reminds Timothy and us not to be distracted, but to remember what? The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. If you want the church to do well, if you want to do church well, if you want to be church well, then don't get sidetracked by meaningless talk. Uh, All this conspiracy theories just... Do the main thing that Jesus said was the main thing, which was love God and love people. That's it. Easy, isn't it? And the passage we're going to look at in this morning, Paul is going to tell Timothy and us his story. Basically, he writes a brief autobiography. And his autobiography doesn't have a title. But if it did, I wonder if he would paraphrased Paul, John, Ringo, and George by calling it, all you need is grace. So we're going to read First Timothy. We're going to read this. Uh, find your Bibles. Find your uh, fake Bibles on your phone. And we are going to read, I haven't even found it, look. Goodness me, call yourself a pastor, Trevor. First uh, Timothy 1, uh, and we're going to read 12 to 17. This is Paul writing to Timothy. Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who's given me strength, that he considered me faithful appointing me to his service, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm pumped. A great passage. There is lots in those few verses. Uh, and I'm going to apologize, I may preach a bit this morning. And you may be convicted this morning, or you may leave the church today. If that's you, it's been nice knowing you. Uh, okay, here's what I want to do. I want to go through the passage and I want to pick out four reminders, not three, four reminders that Paul gives to Timothy and us here at City View of what we must have, what we have to grasp in order to 
do church well. In fact, these four things are vital if we want to live life well. Here's the first one. Gratitude in life. Look at verse 12. Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who's given me strength that he consider me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Paul says, this is who I am today. I'm a pastor. I'm a guy who gets to serve God. And he's so grateful. He's thankful that God's chosen him, appointed him to this. He is grateful to be in ministry. Now, for some of us, that is an oxymoron. Grateful and ministry. It's a bit like a happy teenager or a fully dressed Phil or a level-headed Frenchman. It's an oxymoron. But Paul is thankful to God for choosing him to do his work. I want to pause here for a minute and let this sink in. I wonder how many of us serving here today leapt out of bed this morning and said, great, thank you, Lord, that I am the greeter at the door at City View today. Thank you. Tanya? Lord, I am so grateful. This is Siami. Siami said, Lord, I am so grateful that I get to be in nursery today. Thank you, Lord. Oh, so wonderful. Or, hang on. I think, I think I'm counting the money today. <laughs> hang on, let me, let, let me just check the rotor. Yes! Yes, I am. I'm counting the money. Yes. Raise your hand if that was you this morning. Or did I jump out of bed at 5.15 this morning after an emotionally draining week and dance a Scottish jig because I was preaching? No, I didn't. Only because it would have woken Linda up. <laughs> and I'm not Scottish. But do you see here, Paul is saying, I'm so thankful, incredibly thankful, because he realizes it's a tremendous privilege he has. Which is what? To share and show the love of Jesus to people who desperately need him. Thank you, Lord. I spoke to someone this week, funny story, I spoke to someone this week who said, you know, I, uh, I, I worked for Sir Elton John. About it or not, God's hand is on your life every minute of every day. That might be a bit scary. But it is. What a privilege that is. God has chosen you to share and show the love of Jesus to this world by greeting folk at the door. 
by loving our kids in the nursery, by teaching our kids in big life, by leading worship, by preaching God's word, for crying out loud, by counting the money. By being in your place of work, by being in that tough situation that you're in right now, whatever it is, can we say like Paul, thank you for putting me here. Thank you. Uh, that you considered me trustworthy, appointing me to your service. Be thankful in ministry and life. You're blessed. You're blessed. And that came out of the stories about Heather yesterday. You know, in small ways she did this. Everyone she met, she shared and showed the love of Jesus to them. Now they may not have known it was the love of Jesus at the time, but she shared and she spent time with people. She, I mean, people came up here and told stories over and over about that. Her sister-in-law came up to me afterwards uh, and said, you know, I'm not religious. I said, yeah, go on then, tell me a story. <laughs> uh, I'm not religious, but Heather is, uh, is the type of person of faith that showed all the qualities that that person should have. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? We're called to do the same thing. How can we do that where we are tomorrow? And thank you, Lord. Get up tomorrow, leap out of bed and say, thank you, Lord, for what you're going to call me to do today. So be grateful, thankful for where God has placed you and what he's called you to do. The second reminder for us as the church and as individuals, we need strength for life. Look at verse 12 again. So thank Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he has considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Notice who Paul says has given him strength for ministry. He doesn't say, I would like to thank myself. <laughs> I really would like to thank myself for building myself up. Um, or I'd really like to thank Oprah. I'd really love to thank Oprah for giving me uh, the strength to do what I do. No, he knows ultimately where his strength comes from. He says, I thank Christ Jesus. And it's vital that we grasp that for our ministry here at City View and for our individual lives. You see, I, in my natural state, do not have the goods to be your pastor. I'm not good enough. I'm certainly not smart enough. I'm not wise enough. I'm not patient enough. I'm not even nice enough, if you really knew me. But Christ Jesus gives me the strength to do it. God has blessed me with a great wife who I continually take for granted. And although God has appointed me to be her spouse, I don't have what it takes to be a great husband. But Christ Jesus gives me the strength to do it. You see, I thought I knew what marriage was before we got married. 
You see, <laughs> we can get ourselves ready, we can go to classes, but until we actually start, we don't have a clue, do we? You see, my mum did everything for me growing up. She cooked, she washed my clothes, she ironed my clothes whilst I watched the game on TV. I thought the only difference with marriage was that my wife would replace my mother. <laughs> How did that work? Seriously. That's the way it should be. <laughs> but you know what though, often during the, my 33 years of marriage, I've had to throw myself on God and Linda's mercy and ask God for his strength to be the husband that he calls me to be. And it's the same with parenting. God has, has given me four kids. But I don't have what it takes to be a great father. But Christ Jesus gives me the strength to do it. You can read books, you can watch videos and speak to other people, but you're never fully prepared to be a parent. At 3 a.m. when the baby's crying and you're pulling out your hair, Lampy, you don't <laughs> think, oh, you know what? I think I read somewhere in a book. Let me through that parenting book. <laughs> Page 35 says something about soothing babies. Hang on a moment. No! You don't do that. You cry out, Lord, help me. <laughs> Quite literally, Lord, help me. I can't do this. It's the same when you, you, you're a stroppy teenager. Some of you had stroppy teenagers, some of you will have them. But when they storm upstairs shouting, I hate you! <laughs> when you tell them you can't have their phone at the table for dinner. Let's be honest. That's tough. Marriage is tough. Parenting is tough. You know what? Life is tough. And we don't have it within ourselves to deal with it sometimes. Oh, actually, most of the time. That's when we need strength for life. Some of us are gripped with a sense of fear when, when, we, when you look at what God's calling you to do. You say, I, I, I can't do that. Actually, quite right, you cannot do that. That's why Paul says, I thank God for giving me the strength to be faithful, to do the things that he's called me to do, because I won't be able to do it. He says, here's who I am. I am. I'm a guy that God has called to do something, and I do it with joy, and I do it with courage, not because I'm Mr. Superman, but because I know that God will give me the strength to do it. You need to know that. God gives you something to do or be, and then he gives you the strength to be or do it. Maybe there's some of you here this morning saying, yeah, you know what, Trevor, as soon as I get stronger in my faith, I'll do it. <laughs> you know, as soon as I get this area of my life sorted out, that's what I need to work on, and then I'll do this other stuff. No, you'll be waiting forever. 
It's like me saying, when I get myself fit, healthy, and beautiful, I'm going to enter the Mr. Universe contest. It ain't going to happen. You see, if only we only ever did something in ministry or life when we're in control or ready or prepared, you will never grow. You won't. If you look at your life today and you say, you know what? I haven't grown in my faith. You know what I really need to do is find another church. No, you don't. You need, all you need to do is to think of something that scares you silly and do it for Jesus. If you really want to grow, just do that. Jeff preached a great sermon here a few weeks ago about the very exact same thing. When he was saying, you know, I'm just going to say yes to God. Whatever that might look like. Ah! How great is that? Here's a thought for you to take away. You'll only grow in your faith if your love and gratitude for Jesus and in your love and gratitude for Jesus when you feel totally out of your depth. Because as Paul says, God will give you the strength. But he needs you to be weak first. Admit that you need that. That's a word for someone here this morning. I have to be, I have to be careful when I say things like that because uh, one time I said something like that uh, and this guy felt totally convicted. He came up to me afterwards and he said, I saw you looking at me when you said that. <laughs> and I knew it was for me. And I'm thinking, actually, no, I wasn't looking at you. I was squinting at the clock which was behind his head <laughs> to see what the time was. <laughs> so I have to be careful. But that is a word for someone here, he says, looking down. <laughs> okay, so Paul says, I'm grateful to God for allowing me to serve. I know that I need his strength to do what he's called me to do. And then he talk, moves to talk on about his story. And this is important. He splits his story into two. Before and after Christ. Sin and grace. To do church well, to do life well, we need to grasp both. We need to grasp, to recognise sin and accept grace. This is where I start preaching. Let's deal with the first one. Verse 13. Recognise sin. He says, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Here's Paul laying his life down. This is who I was. And notice what he does. He declares his sin. What's your sin? What's your sin? It's awkward, isn't it? You see, we tend not to talk much about sin because we want to focus on the nice stuff, the good stuff. But it's here in this passage and we need to talk about it, so buckle up. We need to know what our sin is. Why? Because sin gets in the way of us being the church that we're called to be and living the lives that we're called to be. 
Sin dilutes everything that God is wanting to give us. It dilutes his peace. It dilutes his strength, his wisdom, his power. Here's a silly illustration. For the longest time, our shower in our bathroom, uh, it wasn't coming out very well. And it was, you know, turned into a bit of a trickle. And Linda said, Trevor, can you sort that out? And I said, yeah, I'll do that. Nine months later, she asked me again. Yes, yes, I'll do that. I'll get someone to do that. So, and so this, the plumber came round and he had a, had a look. He looked, checked the water pressure down in the basement, make sure the water pressure was okay. He checked uh, sort of pipes and made sure that all of that was fine. And then he said, it's still not working. And they said, oh, hang on a minute. And just at the base of the shower, I don't know what it's called, but anyway, he unscrewed something, tiny little pipe. And in that pipe, was a tiny bit of plastic that something had come off in the water tank or something. And it was blocking the shower. And it was tiny, it was a tiny piece. And he took that out, put everything back again, turned on the shower and <laughs> Yeah, the shower was back. Linda came back that night and said, fix the shower. That's my sin. <laughs> no, I didn't. You see, and it's a bit like, you know when you're out in the garden with the hose pipe? And uh, you're watering the plants or whatever, and then all of a sudden... And you look back, there's a kink in the hose pipe. Well, there's a knot in the hose pipe. And, and you know, you're sort of looking, and then one of the kids sort of straightens it out, and you're getting the full flow of the, the hose pipe in your face. That's why we need to name our sin, because it stops that flow of God's grace and mercy and forgiveness. And some of us struggle to name our sin because, well, there's a number of reasons, but perhaps we're too proud to see our sin, or we don't. Or we disguise our sin. And this is a big one in our day. We don't take responsibility for our sin. It's someone else's fault. I lack patience with people because I was born like that. It's God's fault. Just who I am. I'm a selfish person because my family doesn't love me. It's actually mum and dad's fault. It's not my fault. Or I'm a needy, selfish person because the church doesn't help me enough. It's the pastor's fault. Amen. <laughs> However you dress it up, it's still sin. And you know what? It's your sin. You have to face up to it. And that's what Paul does here in, in verse 13. He faces up to it. He says, look, he doesn't make excuses. He says, I, I, I was a blasphemer. Someone who says terrible things about God. I was a persecutor. I was a violent man too, right? You were, Paul. You killed people. There's, but notice there's no victim language here. You know, I was these things because my parents. 
won't be up there, will you? No. <clears throat> and that may have contributed, and I'm not decrying that. But if, you, if we want to live the life that God's created us to live, with the full measure of love and strength he gives us, we've got to regularly face up to our sin and name it. And this is where following Jesus becomes a little uncomfortable. We love all the good stuff. But there's no more sweeping it under the carpet. No more pretending. Actually, you know, we're actually good people. We have to face it head on. What's your sin? What's stopping you from receiving all that God wants to give you? What's, what's your bit in the shower? That's stopping the flow. Name it. Confess it. It's something that we need to do not just once, over and over again. So Paul reminds us we need to recognize our sin. <clears throat> that's a bit of a Debbie Downer, right? Hang on. <laughs> Here's the kicker. Here comes the best bit. But. But, 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 this is the biggest but in scripture. And I just realized what I said. <laughs> it is the biggest but in scripture. This is not the end of Paul's story. Never forget the G word. The fourth and biggest thing to remember if we want to do church well, if we want to be church well, if you want to live life well, accept grace. Look at what Paul says in verse 14 and 15. He says, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Of whom I am the worst. Here's what Paul's saying. He said, even though I was the worst sinner, even though I did things that were unimaginably horrible, even though I deliberately went my own way, I was saved. My life was rescued. Saved by what? Working harder to be a good person. No. Going to church more regularly. No. Saved by grace. By grace. There is nothing in salvation that comes from us. Nothing. Not a sausage. It all, a hundred percent of it, comes from God through Jesus Christ. In Ephesians, it says that we're dead in our trespasses and sins. It means we're like a corpse. And God comes and breathes his life into us. We are spiritually dead without Jesus. Sin has corrupted everything. It's created this gap. A gap in our relationship with God and with each other and the world. And we can do nothing to bridge that gap. Try to live more moral lives. Will that do it? No. Work harder at church. Will that do it? No. Give more money to the church. Will that do it? 
Maybe. <laughs> no! <laughs> no! Only by accepting and surrendering to the grace of God. That's it. That's it. Paul says, the grace of God was poured out on me abundantly. The Greek word used for abundance here has this image of a huge waterfall cascading over a cliff with tremendous power and it drenches you completely. A few years ago I went to Yosemite National Park and there's a, I can't even remember what the uh, waterfall is there now. Anyway, you can go up to the sides of it, and as you can see, what happens is, as it comes down, you stand on the side, and you get sprayed. And you think, oh, the kids love it, getting sprayed with the water. <laughs> but the interesting thing is that there is a place where you can stand right under it. And there were some people doing that. This isn't a picture of that, but this is someone standing <laughs> under a waterfall. Ever done that? Yeah. Stood under a waterfall. That's God's grace. You can stand on the side and be sprayed with it. Yeah, well, that's nice. Or you can stand right under it and be drenched. Sometimes we don't allow ourselves to be drenched by God's grace. We stand back, stand on the side, don't fully immerse ourselves, don't completely let go. We hold on to some control. Well, I don't know, show some good old Canadian reserve. Yeah, I just stand on the side. Let's let other people go and enjoy the grace of God. Sorry, I'm in your way. <laughs> We have to allow ourselves to be drenched by God's grace. Because not only does that waterfall of grace wash us clean, and it does, it basically takes us in and it throws it as far as the east is from the west. The waterfall of grace fills us with all that we need. Gratitude, God's strength, to live each day. God's love, his mercy, his forgiveness, his joy, his peace. And all we need to do is just surrender to Jesus and allow his grace to drench us. If we do that here at City View, if we do that in our own individual lives, just think what we could do. Just think what we could be. Our lives would be transformed if we truly allowed the grace of God to drench us. I would love to read that autobiography. Imagine if. Let's pray.
actually, could i ask you to stand?